and welcome to the Scene to Song Season 6 Finale. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and for this special episode, I brought back six of our Season 5 guests to talk about some of the topics we discussed this year and answer some questions from our listeners. This discussion was held live on Sunday, December 17th on the Scene to Song Facebook page, where you can still watch it, and it was recorded for this podcast almost in its entirety. I hope you've enjoyed the season, and if you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast as well as give it a rating and a review, which will help it find even more listeners who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musical theater as a literary art form. And if you don't subscribe to the Scene to Song monthly newsletter, I really recommend doing that so you can receive it in your inbox as soon as it comes out. That's scenetosong.substack.com. Also, if you are able, please consider becoming part of the Scene to Song Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you'll get bonus material from many of the episodes, along with some additional Patreon-only posts. I want to thank everyone for listening this season, and now, let's get to the Season 6 Finale episode. Welcome! to the scene to song season six finale as i said we had hit 100 the 100th episode this season other things that i want to highlight are the scene to song newsletter which goes out every month and uh just highlights more about each episode the guests the uh a musical of the month a new musical to highlight and just a lot more about enhancing the your podcast experience so there's that and also I wanted to highlight the scene to song patreon which um I put there a lot of the bonus material from the episodes that doesn't make it into the episodes um sometimes so uh if you contribute there uh and support the show then you will have access to that bonus material uh, which is often really interesting conversations uh, that just I uh, had to cut for time. And uh, yeah, I think that is all I wanted to just introduce. And uh, so we can get over to uh, our guests who are here uh, from season six which is uh, exciting. So we're going to all start with saying our name, which episode we did, where we're zooming in from. If you want to say your pronouns, uh, please add that as well. Uh, and then just as a little uh, extra thing, uh, you can say a musical that you've been thinking about or listening to recently uh, and why. So I'll start and then I'll popcorn it over to someone else. So uh, my name is Shoshana. Uh, I am on every episode <laughs> of the show. My pronouns are she, her. And uh, I am Zooming in from New York City up in Harlem. And uh, the musical, I guess, I have been thinking about most recently um, I guess it's The Wiz, because uh, we might, might be talking about a little more on this episode, and uh, just has been on my mind uh, preparing for the show. So that is mine, and I'll popcorn it over to Victoria. 
Hi, I'm Victoria. Um, I was on the Once Upon a Mattress episode. Um, and I am uh, doing this also from New York City, um, from the Upper West Side. And in terms of a musical I've been thinking about, I mean, we just did the Once Upon a Mattress episode. Uh, so probably that one also, because it's um, going to be at um, City Center and Encores uh, in a, about a month. So uh, I guess that's it. Um, I will send it over to Beth Ann. Hi, Beth Ann. Uh, she, her. I'm in the Bronx. And I've actually been thinking about Shoshana's musical because I got to see it last week. Uh, wait, whatever it was, two weeks ago. Um, Shoshana and her collaborator, Han Kim, uh, wrote a show about uh, the Weather Underground and the Black Panthers, although in the show they're called uh, Hard Rain, and which is a very cool name for it. Um, and um, I'm not... I, unlike a lot of you guys, I'm not a theater professional. So for me to see the evolution of a show and see how it changes over the years of just incredible amounts of work that go into it. And um, it's just really, really exciting for me. And it's a really great show and plug, 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 plug. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes. And I, I did highlight it in my in a recent newsletter. So uh if you guys read that one, you you know a little bit more about the show from from there. There are a couple of songs from it available to listen to online. Um really, really good stuff. Uh was I supposed to say anything? Oh, I the only episode I was on this season was the uh hundredth episode spectacular thingy um so i guess i'm just i'm just guesting to be here with you yes. guys we're here to help facilitate <laughs> and, uh as a as a frequent uh guest and uh alum of these uh live shows uh but in the past i did uh an episode about tv musicals so i want to talk to i guess christopher about that Oh, all of you. <laughs> oh, um, I'll popcorn it to Christopher because of that. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, my name is Chris Culp. My pronouns are he, him. I'm coming to y'all from Buffalo, New York, where it's not actually that cold right now, but also I'm a warm person, so I'm still wearing shorts sometimes. Um, I was uh, lucky to be on the 100th episode, which is TV Musicals Part 2, and just that they keep coming and they keep coming. Um, and the show that I've been thinking a lot about recently is Here We Are, the Sondheim show that um, is at the Shed in New York City. And I'm going to get to see it a second time because I'm not sure if it's going to be put on very often. Um but I am a huge fan of the mixture of musicals and surrealism. So I'm like, oh, this I, I got to go. So I'm going to pass it to Tammy. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Tammy Tucky, and I'm hailing from Philadelphia, which is also not too cold, thank thankfully. Um, I was recently on an episode where we talked about Diana the Musical, which was on my mind for a little bit, but 
or, or you know, earlier earlier last week, I got to uh, interview David Zippel, who was the lyricist for the Goodbye Girl. And my mom was listening to the interview and she's like, I really want to hear this musical and see it. So she's been playing it throughout the week. So that's what's in my mind right now. So I keep say, saying each day, why this? Why me? Why now? <laughs> so that's what's on my mind. So excited to be back. Hi, everybody. Um, and I'll popcorn it to Mike. Hello, uh, Mike Maney, he, him. Um, let's see. I was on the Yip Harburg episode and, um, lately, just cause it's this time of year, I was listening to the Al and Mencken, uh, Lynn Aaron's Christmas Carol musical. So I was listening to that yesterday doing chores around the house. And so the, the songs have been stuck in my head ever since. So, uh, that is, I think that's, that, that's that. <laughs> and then I will popcorn it over to Cassine. Hi, Kasim Gaines, he, him. Um, I was on, I believe it was the season six opener, I think. It was the Shuffle Along episode. Um, the musical, oh, I'm coming from uh, Hackensack, New Jersey. I usually tell people when I'm out of the New York area that I'm from New York. And then when people ask what part of New York, I have to concede the New Jersey part. Um, so <laughs> I'll keep it honest here. Um, I have been thinking a lot Um about The Wiz, because I am writing a book on The Wiz um, for the 50th anniversary of its Broadway run, which is coming out in 2025. But um, but to not be redundant, the other musical that I've been thinking a lot about um, is The Who's Tommy, <laughs> um, mostly because it's coming back to Broadway. And um, I've been thinking specifically about the film, which is so incredibly whacked out um for those of you who haven't seen it it is like wild but i am um fascinated by it and i'm i'm just fascinated by the show in general <laughs> and so i've been thinking a lot about the evolution from an album um a concept album to a film to a stage piece to an orchestral piece and um just an interesting history of that show so that's me. Great. Um, thank you, everyone, for uh, your introductions. Um, before we move on from there, I always like to just look at who may have passed in the, since we last did, did an episode. I know last time we talked a lot about Sheldon Harnick, uh, who had recently passed uh, when we did the five-year anniversary episode. So I just wanted to note um, Stephen Lutbeck, uh, who uh wrote a gentleman's guide to love and murder who passed uh in october uh quite young and uh he he was uh a graduate of the graduate musical theater writing program at nyu which i'm also a graduate of and uh he i think he taught there but after started after i uh was there so um yeah i just wanted to note his passing and his his great work in musical theater and um uh, you know what what also could have come um had he had he not passed so soon so um uh so yeah thinking about stephen lutvac um and uh yeah so i'll, I'll repeat the call-in number uh so that uh, if anybody wants to call in, please do. We're really excited to uh, take any calls if you uh, want to uh, ask your questions that way or just comments or 
talk about musical theater. Uh, so again, that number is 646-931-3860. And the password, if you need that, is 548-298. Okay, great. So um, we can just kind of start by uh, talking about your episodes that you did this season. Uh, if you got any feedback on your episodes or if you've listened to other episodes this season, uh, we can talk about ones that you also found interesting or just uh, anything from the episodes from season six. Uh, if anybody wants to start. Everyone's being so polite. I'll jump in. <laughs> <laughs> I really loved listening to the Once Upon a Mattress episode that just came out because uh, last month I listened to the audiobook of Shy and I just went down this Mary Rogers rabbit hole after that. So I really loved being able to get even more Once Upon a Mattress going after spending all that time with her. And I really enjoyed all of the just discussion about the musical itself because it's really just kind of a, a bizarre show in terms of its like journey to Broadway and all of that. So I, I really enjoyed hearing about that. Yeah, I just been I just finished Shy uh, as well, reading reading it. But yeah, it was uh, I love yeah I loved that book. Uh, so recommend that book for anybody. But Christine uh, Baranski does the audiobook, uh, which is just perfection. So <laughs> highly recommend. I did want to disagree with Victoria on something from that episode. I love amateur theater. I love high school theater. I love seeing <laughs> what amateurs do with things. Um, The only time, oh, I saw Once Upon a Mattress, I think when I was in high school, a local, not my school, but another high school did it and I went to see it. And then the recent time I saw it is I have a friend in the Boston area who hosts theater in her living room and they have a a a in-house theater troupe called small and casual and they do all kinds of shows um i always try to go to them but i haven't been able to do but they also do videos of them that i do get to see and they did a production of once upon a mattress in their living room um and I, I just had so much fun watching it. I mean, I do think it works really well with, you know, people of varying. I mean, they did a, little, a couple little things. Um, they made uh, the parents a lesbian couple and they were hoping that their daughter would find a nice young woman or yeah, they were hoping their daughter would find a nice young woman or something. I forgot exactly what the casting was, but they, they did a couple of little things, um, but also just like, you know, just running around the living room with full of audience. And it was just, I don't know. It was really fun. <laughs> you can look them up. <laughs> um, Cool. Victoria, did you want to respond at all? To <laughs> I'm sorry. I started talking with still having myself muted Um, about the community. I mean, I, I just to clarify, like, I do think amateur and community theater and school theater is like incredibly important in communities. And in a lot of ways, I think um, you can make an argument that it can be more important uh, than professional to the people who are doing it and in those communities. That being said, um, I don't necessarily want to sit through it. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but I think it's very important that all those institutions be funded um, and that there'd be a sort of, a, a, let's say a democratization of access to that um, in terms of uh, meeting community needs and who's there. But I also think a big part of uh, community theater is that it should be for everybody and that it shouldn't necessarily be something where you're going for a professional quality. Because the truth is, is a lot of those people, like they're not going to be professionals and that's not the point. Um, and this, that to be sort of uh, separated out. And just like one of the points I was trying to make in that with the conversation with Shoshana, uh, which I didn't actually listen to because I've sort of hit my maximum of being able to watch and listen to myself <laughs> on any sort of recording over the last couple of months, um, having to do it pretty frequently recently, is that I have a frustration with the fact that I think comedy is like the hardest thing to do. And I don't think that gets enough respect in terms of what is required of that and that it is like a deeply technical skill um, and it requires a lot of effort and a lot of practice. And I think there's just been a way where we've really um, not valued that enough. I think some of that has to do with like social media and a lot of stuff happening there. Um, so that was also like part of that comment in terms of the community theater aspect of it is the idea that anyone can be funny, especially like in something that is... Um, a uh you know it's not life it's a construct and especially in this thing where you have to like repeat it and kind of do all these things and that aspect that was sort of more the point that I just think that's like an incredibly um it's just something that I don't think we give enough credit to yeah uh just sort of what is required of that as, as I like to call myself the number one fan of the podcast, um, you know, Shoshana start, always starts with the get to know our guest question, which is what was your first experience of musical theater? And if you go back through the episodes, so many of your wonderful guests, their first experience was a high school show or a community theater show. And I think when you look at, you know, people who are working um, around everywhere today that that is just an incredibly important part of all of this. If I can um, add something to this, I, I direct uh, the musical at my local um, high school and I, I have a community theater group. So this is, it's a, it's a near and dear topic to my heart, <laughs> but I think there's a, I think there's a very interesting thing though, that Victoria is sort of hitting on, which is, I find this in casting all the time. And sometimes I think it might just be um, the the talent pool or the like the pool of people that you have to work with when you have like a finite sort of um, setting, location, you know what I mean? Um, a lot, you know, educational theater, community theater, it's often unpaid. You know, it's a lot of time. It's, you know, it's, it's a, a very select group, group of people are going to audition <laughs> for this. Um, I think... I often run up against like music and choreography ends up being things that are like seemingly objective things to appraise when casting, like seemingly objective. Like, can you hit this note? Can you do this step? Are you in rhythm? Like, but it seems like the third tier in casting in a group setting is like the acting. And it's kind of like, oh, the kids will learn it. The the people will learn it. The audience will forgive it. And I do think that that is harder with 
comedy because comedy is is a skill, you know, just like Victoria is saying. And, and so I I often kind of um, have that push and pull myself. And I see a lot of community theater because I see other high schools and I, you know, do my homework in that regard. And some people do it much better than others. <laughs> and some people really, you know, have a hard time. I think there is something to the exposure and the experience of doing a full length show which is important for kids and also families to see you know too the, like the greater community to see um but i do i do sort of commiserate a little bit with that point that sometimes the homework in the acting component um is not always given the same amount of time um you know there can be two to one music rehearsals or or or, or choreography rehearsals to blocking rehearsals and um that's just what i've what i've found a little bit too so i i see i see the the dueling perspectives there i guess is what i'm saying in this conversation yeah. this kind of reminds me of um that i was so excited this one uh this was like almost 10 years ago now to see one of my favorite shows runaways at a high school because it's high, it's basically high school young kids are you know the cast and it's like very dark and I was you know so excited to go to this high school on Staten Island to see Runaways uh and I am watching it and I'm like oh wait this sounds nothing like the recording because the music is so hard <laughs> that it's Elizabeth Swatos and you know it is so hard so like so much had was sacrificed you know for for that and I was like okay so I guess like in order to see actual high school kids do the show like some things are sacrificed uh in that regard and then I saw the professional production at uh city center a few years later and I was like okay now I can hear you know what I'm used to hearing on the recording um but yeah that just reminded me of of that because yeah Elizabeth I mean I want every high school to do Elizabeth Swatos but <laughs> the music is so hard <laughs> Uh, so speaking of, there's a question from Facebook, and it's it's a good one for for all of us from Elisa Greenberg. I don't know where I know that name from. Uh, <laughs> former former podcast guest, yes. Former podcast. Oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> um, and she writes: Given this conversation, a question I would have for the group is: What shows do you think work better as a community theater piece? I have some I think work better, but I would love to hear any of your thoughts. I do, um, going off of what uh, Cassine was saying, um, I just watching, they just came out with a music video from the Merrily We Roll Along cast. And there is a di division of labor thing, right? Um, uh, Daniel Radcliffe is there to have a nervous breakdown and then... Um, and then be wide-eyed and uh, optimistic. He's not there for his amazing singing voice. I mean, he's fine, but he's not. The and then they have Lizzie Mendez and um, and Jonathan Groff for the for the singing voice. Like when you, you know, if there's a good show where you can divide things up, like you can have a dancer and a singer and a funny person, then that might be easier to find in a high school than if one person has to be all of those things, you know. That, that would be mine. I love doing I love doing ensemble pieces because I feel like so many people get cast in ensemble and always wish to 
get the lead. And I know that I've been on that boat and then they feel like they're not really included on, on most of the rehearsals because they're with the leads. So when there's a piece where you can have really everybody has to be there. Um, that's when I feel like everybody makes more of a connection and, and feels like they are part of this big train and everybody's working apart. Maybe somebody's the conductor, maybe somebody's working in the back, you know, serving some hot chocolate. You know, I'm j- I, I just watched the Polar Express recently, so that's why it's in my head. Um, but I I love doing Mamma Mia because that is such a a fun, silly show. There's like little, you know, characters here and there in it, but most of those songs are women and men participating in this ensemble piece. So I remember really enjoying that one. So I'm hoping I can do it again soon, <laughs> but that one's a really, that's one that stick that, that sticks in my mind as, as a fellow ensemble performer. <laughs> the the only show I was in, in high school was anything goes. And it, I was in the chorus, but I felt such, I felt such a part of that show, you know, cause there oh, yeah. was so much for the chorus to do and, and different, partial choruses right here's men's chorus here's women's chorus here's small group of dancers which i was not part of here's smaller group of singers <laughs> yeah yeah anyone else want to mm-hmm. chime in i'll go <laughs> um i just gonna say i feel like in general right the shows where you can have the most amount of people involved are the best um because again i sort of going back to what i was saying before i think a big point of this isn't it's about like letting as many people who want to be involved be involved. And I don't think like being exclusionary about it um, or any of those things. Cause I think the goal of what you're trying to accomplish is very different than what you're trying to accomplish, like on Broadway, which doesn't mean that you don't want everyone to like try their best and things like that. But I also think like a big part of doing things in school um, is to give people opportunities to like try something that they wouldn't otherwise try And also just like, if they're passionate about it, even if they're like not good, who cares? They're kids. Um, And that you should allow them to like try that. And also because like they're kids, you don't know who's going to be what. Um, But I also just going off this and especially because like all this started with Once Upon a Mattress, but also um, Wonder Course they're doing at City Center, but because Lear DeBassene is directing And one of the things she does is so much community-based work. And one of the other things that she is doing right now is also, I'm going to like mess up the name of this, but it's like the one project, one city. I definitely did not get that name right. Uh, People can Google it. But basically the idea is, is that they selected cities all over the country to participate in like a national wide theater project. Um, And what they decided to do is rather than choosing one play for every community to do is they chose a theme and then they allowed every community to pick sort of however that theme resonated with them, uh, which is just sort of a long way of saying, I think that's answering the question by saying that I also think part of it is like whatever show is best for students is also the one that is best for the particular community that you're doing it for. Um, And I think that's something that they are very, they did in a very smart way of saying like, rather than like, everybody should do this show. It's like, okay, here's our theme. And you can customize that in whatever way works for the needs of the people who you are doing this for. Um, I'm finding this a really interesting conversation and the, to like out myself. So I'm a clarinet player. I'm not a vocalist and I've not performed in musicals. And part of my entrance into like really getting to musicals is TV musicals. 
And to me, especially Kasim, uh, when you talk about like music, choreo, acting, a lot of TV musicals, they can't sing. And to me, that's great. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not going for like Sarah Michelle Gellar to know how to sing. And so that I, and the summer camps and stuff that I've taught at, it is usually they go like a little bit more into personality versus singing. Um, but I find that interesting, even for myself. I'm like, I'm a clarinet player. I play music, but when I go to a musical, I'm I would like things to be on pitch, but I like more character than that. So, so like I to me, I'm like the acting. Yeah, that's the most important part because you have to act through the singing, not just sing it. So it's interesting to hear these different perspectives. But also, I'm not somebody who's like a musical theater practitioner, so interesting perspectives i i mean i i had because i i didn't re-listen to my episode about tv i just listened to yours but um i was just talking to shoshana about this i think and i don't know if i said this in my episode but if i didn't i'll say it now the reason you do the musical episode can't be because of the good singers because i would i'm just two tv musicals that did not work Grey's Anatomy and The Flash. And Grey's Anatomy had Sarah Ramirez and a couple other people who were pretty good, but they mostly had Sarah Ramirez, who is amazing. But it doesn't work to be like, well, we have them. Let's do a musical because they can sing, right? Um, the Flash, way more so. The 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 cast list of The Flash, if you're an, and and also the Flash verse with because it was a crossover with um Supergirl. I mean, they have Jeremy Jordan, they have Victor Garber, they have um what's his name? Jesse uh I mean the, the cast list is ridiculous. And the musical was not good. Whereas um I haven't seen the Star Trek one. I didn't do my homework but the uh, maybe they had good singers in that but the Buffy musical they didn't I mean they had a couple who were good but not on the level of the people I was just saying and the Scrubs musical which is the other one I talked about in my episode they had you know Donald Faison can certainly sing but he's not a singer um but those really worked because the reason for the musical wasn't we have good singers the reason for the musical was we super want to do a musical and we're very passionate about this. So I think as you're pointing out that same type of passion is going to be important for community theater. I don't know. To I try think... to go back to the topic. I <laughs> yeah. I, I think it, it's funny because I, um, this is where I get, I get voted off the episode right now, but I, I, love musicals so much and I love TV so much and I'm actually re-watching Scrubs right now um, and I I kind of generally hate when they do musical episodes of TV shows um, mostly because I don't I think I don't get it like I mean like, as someone who as someone who gets TV and gets musicals I don't get why they do that um, if if there are people who cannot sing and it is not really the medium for it um i i must confess that i i did not listen to either episode so perhaps i would be better informed if i did <laughs> um but i just don't i don't i don't get it and i don't really like it and i think you know 
I think the difference, the big difference I think I see structurally is none of those episodes are the first episode in in a run of a series. None of them are probably in the first 13 episodes. Like they're they're after these shows are well established. They know that the audience can turn off that half hour or that hour and then tune in next week. It's a very special episode that exists out of the the structure of the series by and large. And it's different than like, you know, charging someone who's not, well, number one, it's different than charging someone. <laughs> it's different than charging someone who's maybe not a musical theater person to sit and watch like their kid in a show for two hours. And like, so I guess I, I feel a little bit of a, responsibility to like let them have like a sonically nice experience to the best of my ability in terms of singing ability um but i did just want to say i think in terms of like the the question itself pardon me um like little shop is a show that i i love um in like the smallest venue possible i want um Beth Ann's friend to do like a living room performance of Little Shop. Um, I, I just want to see it <laughs> like I, I want to see it in the most intimate space. And I as much as I love the show, I really was not a huge fan of um, when it was on Broadway. I love the off Broadway, the current off Broadway run. But when it was on Broadway, it it just it was so cavernous. Um, I didn't think anything was added by the spectacle and the size and the grandeur of that production. And so Little Shop is a show that I really think works well in schools and community theater. It's it's not as inclusive as everyone's been saying. It's kind of a very small cast, but I think it's a show that um, you can almost grab like any group of 13 people and, and do a, a decent enough production of it. It's so funny you say that because Shoshana and I went to go see The Goodbye Girl earlier this year, but it was the off off Broadway version. And I think we both agreed because when they originally did it in 93, it was just too flamboyant and such a big production when the show is just about really truly three people. And the version that we saw, I think Shoshana, you would agree with me is that we both agreed it's so much better when it is in a smaller space. That's how I feel about Little Shop too. So, um, and then just to go back to the musical TV episodes, I I I think I, I agree with you on, you know, just having that one episode out of nowhere being a musical. Not always my favorite, but I'm very much intrigued when shows have a continuous running theme of having music. So I loved Smash first season. Um, I really, I enjoyed first season of Glee. Um, but then I also, I was kind of surprised that recently this past summer with uh, only Murders in the Building, how they kind of wove that in because I wasn't experiencing it. I'm not going to spoil anything. I promise. But I was just surprised because I wasn't thinking it was going to be a music heavy season because it was supposed to be a play in it and it, it changed to a musical in it. And I, I really enjoyed that because it wasn't, it wasn't overwhelming. And I really thought it was interesting how they did that. So just to piggyback off of what you were saying. <laughs> I spent four years directing uh, musicals for a high school, and it was always interesting picking shows and trying to like showcase the people that you have and just trying to figure out what's going to best serve the pool of students that you know are going to be auditioning just based off of previous years and things like that. And I feel like some of the shows we picked were definitely more successful than others, but the one that I thought went so well and I had no idea it would 
go that well was when we did Hello Dolly, because it offered so many different opportunities for different people to showcase different things who, if there were kids who are good dancers who may not necessarily be the best singers, they got to do the waiter's gallop and just go for broke. And it was this crazy thing to get these kids to do that when you know, if it was like a big singing show, they wouldn't have been able to have been showcased as much or certain kids who were, you know, better actors. So, but not necessarily great singers. So there's like parts, other parts in that show where you could showcase that. And then there's the kids who were great singers. And it was just a really great show that let everyone kind of have a moment to showcase, which I was very pleasantly surprised with. So that, that would be in my vote. I was in Hello Dolly in high school. It was a fun, I, I was uh, just in the chorus, not just, but I was in the chorus <laughs> and uh, it was it was very fun. Like there was a lot for the chorus to do. Uh, yeah, it, you get to wear nice costumes, <laughs> parasols, like, it, yeah, it was fun. And it was nice, like the kids genuinely seemed to like enjoy working on the show too. Cause you know, that's also the other thing where, you know, you're picking something that you think might be good for everybody, but it may not be, you know, the most exciting thing to do. And it's, I was really happy that they liked working on the show as much as I did, so. And I think that brings up an interesting part about, especially like how there's like the really common uh, community theater musicals, but how they are, uh, genetically more related to vaudeville so you do have those distinct roles where people do have like you're the comedy role and you can sing badly and that that division of labor and division of like how you are fits nicer into when you do have like that finite group of people because i'm thinking of my experiences and like uh, i have a friend who is uh does Gilbert and Sullivan and it's like he's always going to get typecast as this one kind of character he's never going to be the tenor <laughs> and all those kind of things and it's like maybe that that sort of like yeah you have all those bits now because it's the origins of those coming from vaudeville as the variety show i'm on a play selection committee for my local community theater and in philadelphia we're overwhelmed with different community theaters so for me, uh, my main thing I, I told everybody was like, I really would hope that to to kind of stand out from the crowd is that we choose shows that have still highlight the talent, but also are not typically done to death in this area because there are countless shows that I just, I'm like, we just saw this last year, you know, it just happened. And it's always that difficult part of also saying, okay, well, our director's going to want to do it. And how are they going to make it a little bit different? Because for me, I wanted to suggest, you know, maybe a musical like 1776, but let's think outside the box because there was a Broadway and national tour of all women. Could we do something like that? Would MTI or whatever rights divisions we're getting them from, would they allow it? You know, what 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 are our what are our options? Because I feel like theater really, I think it's becoming more acceptable to just not typecast anymore. And I, I really hope that more community theaters have that opportunity to do something like that, not just have the typical stereotypical person fill that role because people love to see something different you know with hello dolly you know you could cast you know different uh, different a variety of people in different roles and it would feel like an entirely different show and that's something i'd love to see more of do you guys get to see that at all in any local productions that they are diving in to see if they can you know cast somebody that's out of the ordinary quote unquote well i 
not exactly what you're saying, but just um, I've been, well, my family has been very involved in Gilbert and Sullivan in Western Massachusetts. And I was in the pit orchestra when I was like 17. And then my parents have been involved in it for the past, I guess, 25 years since I was 17. <laughs> um, and I, even this last year, they did Iolanthe and I was an usher for a night. Um, one really cool thing that happens with community theater, especially uh, that type of a group, because Gilbert and Sullivan very specifically was written for a troupe. So if you go from show to show, there's like roles. This this particular community theater has been around for, I think, almost 50 years now. And what you see is that some of the people I watched as a kid playing the young tenor are now playing the major general or they're playing the older parts. And it's like, it's not just a theater troupe, it's a community. Like now it's things like going to each other's funerals and throwing musical things for people as they're, as, and, and like even generational, like it's it's um it's really about community and and pulling people in and there are some people who do it for a year or two and there are some people who really spend their lives and um and yeah I mean oh actually <laughs> the particular guy I'm thinking about uh Matt Rorig is his name if he's watching hi he's not um <laughs> so when I was little uh and he has a daughter about my age uh, he was doing the young tenor. And then one year he played Iolanthe, the fairy queen. And then one year he, uh, and then this year they did Iolanthe and he played, I don't remember, I don't know Iolanthe well enough, but he played like the, the major general type role. He played somebody older. Um, and so, uh, yeah, a lot. Of, and uh, it's interesting because I think when a lot of community theaters do it, it's not to be edgy or it's not to like make a statement. It's because these are the people we got. <laughs> um, so, uh, and so it, it can, it can be really fun and, and different. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've definitely um, done some, I guess what would probably be considered unconventional casting <laughs> over the course of my time. Um, I think, yeah, to, to Beth Ann's point, I don't know if it was ever, um, I don't know if I ever did it intentionally or to make a point but certainly in making certain casting choices it, it changes the show um I'm I'm a little bit of two minds about um like if I think I tend to be and maybe this is just like the writer in me but I think like if you can like preserve the text as written and like put another body uh, or, or an unconventional casting choice in that script and in that role um, I tend to be much more comfortable with that than like a wholesale um, changing of characters as written that fundamentally changes the plot. Um, so that's, that's I guess, like, I, I guess I'd say like, I, I've never done that and I don't know if I would do that. And I'm always kind of like, again, I kind of go back to like the why a little bit. Like I certainly get... Um, you know, making theater more inclusive and more, you know, having more representation. But I I tend to sort of feel like um, there are often other shows that can accomplish the goals of, of those, of the creative team to try and find shows that have better gender representation, better LGBT representation, um, like that's authentic to the script and the, and the playwright's um, intent. Um, than like kind of 
having to ask the right holders, you know, for like permission to do something to alter what was originally the playwright's um, intention. This is sort of where I fall on it, on that particular aspect of it. But yeah, but definitely, definitely have made some unconventional casting choices in my, in my day. Yeah. This is slightly adjacent to that, but I think like another thing, particularly with schools, um, with like high school students, middle school students, or like summer camp is to also give the kids like a chance to write their own plays and musicals and then to like put those on and give them some resources to do that, whether it's just giving them like the main stage to do it, giving them some sets, um, but like giving them some actual like material support to put the stuff on. Cause I think like that is something that doesn't get enough attention or doesn't come up enough time as an option of like, let the kids write their own. Um, even if it's just like a night of one acts or short plays or sort of whatever it is. Um, but I think that also provides good opportunities in many ways. Yeah, actually, it makes me think of in the Disney movie High School Musical, how it was really interesting. I know that's like, this was like over 15 years ago at this point, but it was a big, it was really big at the time. But but um, it was interesting. Big time, yes. Yeah, it was interesting <laughs> how in that in that TV movie, the writers of the musical were students at the school, um, which is not often uh, the case when you do a high school musical. Um, so that was, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, does we want to uh, talk about any more of the season six episodes? I also have a question that came up came in via Instagram that we can get to as well. But does anyone have any additional thoughts on episodes or anything we've talked about so far? Uh, I feel like I'm I like you, you said that you wanted to get kicked out and I'm not going to kick you out. <laughs> and to also be like, I'm not in love with TV musical episodes because I think they're weird. And I come to musical theater in general to be like, why are y'all breaking in the song? What's going on? And what I think, um, and part of this is like, oh, it's poetic, because I'm thinking of the TV show Community. And are, are any of you familiar with that show? So it's what I think is interesting about and how it's the musical episodes working now is that it's part of this like kind of postmodern television aesthetic where the audience is supposed to be able to read the genres as they come. And community, it's like one episode is a Western, the next one's Star Trek or Star Wars. I always screw them up because I haven't really seen either. Um, but like, you're supposed to be able to read it and or you learn what it is through that. And that's the thing to me is like, everybody was learning what musicals were through Glee and also things like Buffy. And I'm like, well, is that what musicals are? Or is that just what TV musicals are? Because they are the things that are the most accessible. Um, and I think that's an, that to me is the interesting part because then they have to figure out a way to do it and the ways that some shows do it. And I mean, I love, I love torturing my students when I have them do the Grey's Anatomy episode because I haven't, I didn't watch the series and I'm like, oh, this is great. This is like, I mean, it's a sad episode and stuff going on, but like the Sunshine song, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, but I'm not attached to the show anyway. <laughs> Um, so and that's where I see it. Uh, this is the sort of like, it's a contemporary postmodern technique of 
we're going to look at the same thing, but now we're going to do it as a musical and now we're going to do it as a silent film. And now we're going to do it as a Western and more and more shows are doing that. Like Star Trek is doing that. They had the cartoon characters from the lower decks come into the real life episodes of strange new worlds. It's like, why do that? That's some people I'm sure were super annoyed and turned it off, but they're doing it on and on. Well, when you guys said TV musicals, I was I I immediately thought, oh, Cinderella, Whitney Houston, <laughs> Kathy Bates, Annie, and I, that that should just be another topic we should do for a podcast episode because that's really how I was introduced to musicals in a different way when I didn't have access to go see the shows, and we're we're losing all of that. That just does not happen anymore. You know what I mean? And and I miss that because I think it was like some of them were part of the wonderful world of Disney, and I don't know what the Music Man was, but um, since we're talking about the Wiz, it automatic. And I was going through it again. I remember watching the live production when that was on TV. After after the Peter Pan fiasco. And I went, this is what a TV <laughs> musical is supposed to be. The Wiz, because it was so wonderful. So that's just another thing that popped in my head when you guys said that. I didn't think it was the episodes one, but TV musicals in I, general. I, I know we have some Wiz purists in the room, but I loved The Wiz on TV. <laughs> and and Bette Midler's Gypsy is my other, I mean iconic <laughs> i don't like to use that word but seriously <laughs> i um i agree wholeheartedly um especially with the bet midler gypsy but i i think you know again i guess i go back to like i don't know the why like it's the why that i don't quite get of the tv and i, I get what you're saying about the tropes but like i guess i'm i'm kind of putting your comment in my brain in like conversation with like a show like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend where like every every episode has kind of different musical numbers that are different genres and like I think that works because that's the world of that series um but I guess I guess I think there's a little subconscious part of me <laughs> that that the issue I take with the TV episode is there's just so much um so many people feel like musicals aren't for them. And we can see this by the way that like Wonka and The Color Purple and Mean Girls are all being marketed as like non-musicals because there is a perception that like people don't want to see musicals. So why don't people want to see musicals? Because every time a television series shows a high school musical or community musical performance it's always you know some out of tune kid going like memory all alone in the moonlight like that's that's the stereotype of of community theater and educational theater and there's wonderful community theater and educational theater but it's not kind of the the caricature you know it's not the representation that we see so then i think okay great so now someone who maybe doesn't watch musicals is watching their favorite series and their exposure to a musical is an episode that largely exists like as a weird outlier, um, you know, in the series with people who maybe can't sing, with people like, like I mean, like, and I, I'm not, you know, I, I don't mean to, I feel like I'm taking a very critical turn here. Like, I don't mean to be like super critical about it, but I just go like, I, how is that helping? What is it doing? Like what, like what's really happening there? I don't get it. And um, 
I tend to believe like if you're doing it for yourself, if you're doing it for like the like the like the exercise of yourself, that's not a good enough reason. I, I'm thinking about like Gus Van Sant doing Psycho and like doing like a shot for shot like redo of Psycho. Like that is ex that is an excellent experiment and exercise for a film class. I I don't need to to see it or I don't need to pay to see it. You know, mm -hmm. um, and that's I think that's my issue. I don't mind musicals on TV when they are in the smash glee, you know, like in that context, if they're the whiz live or or something like that. But just when they're like one off outlier episodes, I just I really struggle to or I I think the Buffy episode is the one that I think does it the best. I was I was sitting here waiting to interrupt you. I I do think that there is the Buffy episode yeah. and then there's everything else because yeah. certainly I love the Scrubs episode but it easily lifts out. It's not part of everything. And um I I love Crazy Ex-Girlfriend a lot but that's it's that's a very different situation. I, I and I haven't seen every TV show in the world, but the Buffy musical is the one that actually works. <laughs> well, I would say, because I have seen the Star Trek one, and it's very much in the model of the Buffy episode, and I think it it is up there as well. I don't know, Chris, if you want to give thoughts on that, but... <laughs> I, I think... Cause, I mean, because I wanted to do the podcast, I could talk at length about this. I think the asking the why and Bethany, this is what I appreciated about your episode is the whys of like, who's in it and like, what are they doing and whatnot. To me, narrative wise, it all like, for me, it gets wrapped up with Nietzsche. It gets wrapped up with the idea of breaking into song and how if the world is a musical that has certain sort of romantic metaphysical consequences and when those are the things that are at stake, then it makes more sense. Like singing and dancing and burning and dying. If you go to Schopenhauer, that's what happens. <laughs> and it's like, wait, wait a minute, what's going on? Um, and so that would be my like, I, I in part of it is I'm a dork and I'm a philosophy person. <laughs> so that's where I'm coming from. Uh, but I think the why, like sometimes it is like uh, you just wanted to do a musical tie-in event because you were on Fox and Lee was on and you're like, okay, cool. But other times, because um, I, I, when I'm thinking of like uh, Xena has two musical episodes, one is really great and one is a jukebox musical episode. Lex's musical episode is really great. It's a weird Canadian sci-fi series. Uh, Todd in the Book of Pure Evil, which is a Buffy meets South Park, has two musical episodes. It's a Canadian TV show and only two seasons, but two musicals still. And like, I, I, I agree too, though, that there's always a little bit of disdain in some of these episodes for musicals. So the Todd in the Book of Evil second one, the person who like is aware that they're in a musical is complaining about how much she hates musicals and how she thinks it's for lower class people. <laughs> Nothing so, to more. I want to call out Bunheads, um, especially when you compare it to something like Smash or Glee. To me, and so that's that's more. I forget the die the diegetic where they're actually singing and dancing in the thing. 
the one thing that I thought Bunheads got right that I've never seen anywhere else is they actually understand how rehearsing and putting on a show works. I mean, in Glee, it would be like, let's sing this song. And all of a sudden there's like a full production number. And in Glee, you actually see them practicing and you actually see that this stuff takes work and that different people have different talent levels. And, you know, the high school kids are very good, but they're not professional level. And then the one professional level person is the teacher who, you know, and I, I, I don't know, I, more people should watch Bunheads. <laughs> Did you guys talk about that one episode of Once Upon a Time? It was like almost like the last season and they did a musical episode and I was really shocked that I enjoyed it and they made a joke in it where everybody's there's their lead into Rumpelstiltskin's song and he's like, stop, I'm not singing. And he doesn't Uh, sing anything. It was actually brilliant. (laughs) I watched every single episode of that show and I do not remember the musical episode at all so <laughs> you don't it was actually really good they had some good songs I was shocked that people knew how to sing in it I, and they had a whole behind the scenes featurette about the making of it because they really found it important and that was one I of uh, the most enjoyable ones I've seen in a long time so I should revisit if you haven't it. seen it it's good <laughs> um, um I, oh. oh sorry go ahead oh. I was gonna say I haven't seen most of these episodes or most of these shows Although some, like, the concept of a Grey's Anatomy musical episode is very, very, very strange to me. And I completely believe that it absolutely did not work because it just doesn't fit the structure of the show. Um, but I did want to say the one show that I think was able to do it successfully, so much so that I don't think it even really people relate to it as a musical episode, is I do think uh, Kimmy Schmidt, they have an episode where there's, like, a lot of songs in it. And I think part of the reason why that works is because the construct of that entire show can support it. Whereas with like a lot of these other shows, and I think this is like the thing that people have been touching on, is that they just haven't built a world that lends itself to a musical being anything other than like a weird thing coming in and being posed on top of it. We're also then I think when you do that, you're opening up to like so many questions and sort of like, well, wait, why is this happening? Why? And you have to start answering them and it sort of becomes like a house of cards effect. Whereas I think with something like Kimmy Schmidt, because the world is so strange and they've allowed like a certain amount of plasticity in the world. And also like it is absurd. It's surreal. It's sort of all these things that when you bring the music in, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And it also doesn't cause you to question it um, in the same way because it's not something that's like taking you out of the world. So I wanted to highlight that one as one that I think works. I want to go to Mike's comment and then we'll go to the Instagram question, the question that came in through Instagram. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that I, I also think the Scrubs episode does an excellent job of, of giving a why because it's somebody who has a brain issue. And because of that, it's it, they're saying she's the one who's hearing the singing. It's not like that they're singing. And I also think that a lot of it comes from a place of love because I think almost the full cast for the most part have theater backgrounds and things like and genuinely love musicals so I think it came from them wanting to like be part of a musical and I think it shows that they love what they're doing as opposed to a lot of these other shows that do poke fun at the like musical theater tropes that we all know but I I think that Scrubs does a great job of giving a why to the singing well um so I'm gonna read uh this question came in from Dennis Q on Instagram uh dennis says what is your favorite revival of a show either running right now or ever um so i think that will bring up you know uh 
thoughts on revivals in general. Uh, but uh, that uh, seems like a good question to talk about that can then lead into our collective why is this so good section. So yeah, who wants to start? <laughs> well, I'll offer briefly, I think um, at the moment, I think my favorite revival is one that um, I wasn't alive to see, but I think about all the time, <laughs> which was um, like the 1967 uh, Hello, Dolly with Pearl Bailey and Cab Calloway, which I am so fascinated by. And I think that that's an example where the text was left unchanged, but in changing just the cast um it it's a different it's a different production um and i i'm i'm so fascinated um by that by that show and just want to learn all i can about it so that's that's probably my favorite um revival at the moment that i that i haven't seen one that everybody is loving but is actually a little disappointing to me well, okay, fine. I love it too. But the the I was talking about the um, Merrily We Roll Along and everything about that is wonderful, but man, do I wish I could see the original script. Like, I, I know that the creators are the one who changed it, but, and you, and in your episode about Merrily, you talked about this too. Um, but like, I'd love to see it with, you know, the, what's the opening party song they changed it to that frank it used to be um whatever it used to be i mean i <laughs> as wonderful as the the production right now is and i had an amazing experience seeing it i i i wish i could see how it was but, you know i wish i could see that that old production well i think i think the at one point i don't know if it still is there was a very grainy youtube video of <laughs> the original yeah. production so I don't know if it's still up, but <laughs> you might be able to find that. We call them slime tutorials, yeah, Shoshana. Yeah, yeah. We've got to be specific <laughs> here, okay? And I'm so grateful for them. I know it's <clears throat> you're not really supposed to say that you enjoy <laughs> that you enjoy seeing them, but I always love finding those online. Um, but the one that was released legally um, that I really enjoyed uh, was the Kathy Rigby Peter Pan. And I always really enjoyed that production. And then finally she was doing another tour, maybe like, I don't know, five years after I saw it on DVD VHS and we got to see her live and just as amazing. And I remember really enjoying it and meeting her after the show. So that one has a soft space, soft spot in my heart. And I think she's probably one of the best Peter Pans um, that has ever been on stage. So I, I always really enjoy her interpretation of the of the role. Yeah, anyone else? I really love um She Loves Me. And I was introduced first through the revival in the early 90s. And like that was it's it's such a good cast album, and I was obsessed with it. And then when they did it again a couple of years ago, I you know saw it and loved it, but them being able to do a pro shot of it, and so I get to relive it over and over. It's just it's such a well-made musical. And it's just everything about it is so wonderful. And it's it just always sticks with me. And it's funny that I, I don't think of the original often or at all for that matter. And it's, you know, people like, you know, Barbara Cook and Jack Casty in it who are, you know, great people. And it was a directed by Hal Prince. But I don't think of that one at all. I think of the subsequent productions 
and listen to the subsequent productions all the time compared to that. Uh, I'm going to have to go with, and part of it is, it's probably my favorite musical for lots of weird reasons, but Assassins, the 2004. Um, and not that I... You know, I think I also am really in, appreciative and interested in the different ways that it is continuing to go. Um, so that version, um, if I remember right, there might have been stuff about the balladeer turning into um, Lee Harvey Oswald in the first version, but it didn't make it. And then having him turn and the kind of being like, this is the how quickly the American dream can turn because the balladeer to me is the American dream. Um, but then also there was a really great and really interesting production in um, England last year where everything was held as a political rally in the United States. So they had like gingham everywhere and like hot dogs and popcorn. And it was just like people in mascot outfits. And I'm like, wow, that is also going places. Um, so that's what that's what I would go for. Uh, but I was going to say along the lines with uh, what you were talking about with Merrily, um, and because I was just for the musical of the month for the newsletter was Showboat. I was just thinking about shows that like, like Showboat in its original incarnation was different from what I saw that revival in the nineties. Of course, it's been through like many revisions, but um, I think the most interesting what we think talk about as revivals to me are ones that have really like gone from like a show that um, was very, very different or at least somewhat different in its original form. And that has like, the piece has like changed, but like maybe that's not technically a revival and more like, I guess, I mean the per parade also, there was a lot of changes there from the original production as well. Um, so I think those revivals are the most interesting to me. Uh, the ones that uh, either, uh, yeah, are, are changing the show in some way for whatever reason, because either because things didn't work, things are different now, things are, you know, or <laughs> whatever it is. I mean, I always want to see, of course, like what the original one was. Um, but because my experience with Merrily the first time was not the original production. It was a production that was, I mean, it was a regional production that was, but that took the newer script. So that was my experience of Merrily the first time. And my experience with Showboat the first time was not, of, of course, the original production, but was this, was this, uh, you know, very revised production in the 90s directed by Hal Prince and loved it, you know, so it's, uh, just interesting to think about revivals that way of the, of shows that have like really changed over time. That production of Showboat, I saw that as a little kid too, and it was the second Broadway show I'd ever seen, mm -hmm. and it made such a huge impression impression on me. I think it was ninety three or ninety four, um, and I like I love that production so much. I begged to go back, um. And it's funny because like it's also like beyond that production a musical that I'm only like somewhat familiar with. Um, but one of the things that is just sort of like fascinating to me about that production in like a really sad way is that I remember uh, the actress who played Julie was this woman named Lynette McKee, I think. And she was like phenomenal. 
Um, and I don't think she ever did a Broadway show after that. Um, and I just like, I have so many questions about like why that was. Cause I feel like she was such a standout in that production and that production. Um, I don't know, I guess cause it made an impression on me, but I like, it's one of those that I wish somebody would like look into why that happened. If somebody who like does such a phenomenal job in a role and then like doesn't work again, or at least doesn't work again on Broadway. Anyway, <laughs> on that happy note. Yeah. Well, uh, does did everybody did anybody else want to add anything to this uh, before we move into the why is this so good section? Cool. Well, on the note of revivals, um, I'm very excited for the Wiz uh, to be coming. Uh, right now, it's on. Uh, I think like a tour that's coming th- through, and then it's going to be on Broadway in the spring. So I thought. For our why is this so good section that we'll do like a collective response to, uh, we would do the song Home from The Wiz because uh, I think it's a very well-known song from The Wiz and uh, I love it and uh, would love to hear what everybody everybody's responses response to it is. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Cassine, do you want to say it? Because you're, you're, you know, very involved in in the whiz <laughs> right now so do you want to you say anything? my desk oh boy it's out, of, About- it's out of frame right now but oh boy <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean home home is kind of the the um centerpiece of the whiz it's the you know the big um finale uh made famous by stephanie mills i, I mean i don't want to set it up too too much i guess but um it's it's a number that I think occupies a very unique space in the show. And also um, I would argue in, in musical theater history um, because Ken Harper, who, who produced and conceived this show really um, wanted to have this space where kids could see themselves um, black kids and black people could see themselves in America's best known fairy tale, you know, bombs the wonderful Wizard of Oz. And um, one of the things that I found quite interesting throughout the course of writing this is that the show received so much blowback um, during its pre-Broadway tour in 74. And then once it hit Broadway in 75, um, with a lot of people sort of having this attitude of like, how how could you dare touch the Wizard of Oz and um, really incredibly nasty reviews written in in almost all of New York's papers like um nasty like not just negative nasty reviews and um and Ken Harper was really kind of caught by surprise by this because he he really did not conceive of the show to kind of be making any sort of statement he just sort of thought it's it's a, it's a moment for representation. Um, he did not see it as like making a political statement or anything like that, which is interesting because I think the way that we think about the Wiz um, in the intervening 50 years maybe is a little bit different than what the creators were thinking about when it was conceived. It was just sort of that um, in the 39 film and certainly in the book, home really is a physical place and that... Um, to repurpose this idea of home for it to be within and it to be 
um, people and not a, a location, you don't have to go to Kansas to go back home, um, was kind of the message of the show more than than anything else. So um, kind of trying to keep that as spoiler free as possible for anyone who's never heard this song before. <laughs> but um, but there's there's a little bit of a little bit of whiz backup background on it. Yeah. Cool. So I so I'm gonna play the song. Uh so what I'm gonna do, I think, is share my sound. That's how we do this, right? Let me see. Hold on. Now we get to find out which version she chose. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. Are uh, we gonna listen that's... to the movie version, the Broadway <laughs> version, which version? <laughs> um, I figured I would just share the original. Uh, from the original cast recording that's what this is going to be so I'm going to start playing it if you can hear it let me know Should we run away? 
Right. And I think the show just ends there, right? I From what I've seen, there's no like, then we go back. There's there's one line. It's Toto. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's not like in the movie that we're used to or anything where like she clicks her heels three times and there's the scene where she returns. There's no real, there's the Toto line, yeah. But there's no real like return. No. Yeah. Um, which I, I always thought was interesting and really poignant, but, um, yeah. The movie was my first introduction to that entire musical. And then the, then that song at the end. And I think I was very uh, underwhelmed because that's the way that song is beautifully sung by, I'm blanking on her name again. What, What was her name? Who was the original Dorothy? Stephanie Mills. Just, just unbelievably beautiful. And then, as I told you guys, I saw the revival on TV, and that's where I was like, "That's what I thought the Wiz was going to be." Like, <laughs> this is what the talent, and that was just unbelievable. Um, but when I hear that song, I, I don't know if you guys saw that recent Whitney Houston documentary, but they open the film with that, and then they kind of close it with that. And um, when I hear the song, I think of her because of that emotional tie-in because of that documentary. So that's just what I think of, but it's a beautiful song and beautifully sung. Just speaking of performers, um, I want to call out, I saw Nikki Renee Daniels do it and it was, it was phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, it's a great, you know, showcase for a singer for sure. Um, Yeah. I saw the last, uh, production wise I saw when encores did it as when they used to do summer shows uh they did the whiz uh I think Ashanti was the performer playing uh person playing Dorothy um and when she got to the line uh in the song uh living here in this brand new world might be a fantasy but it taught me to love so it's real to me I just started (laughs) started crying because I feel like a lot of the question about the Wizard of Oz, at least, I, it's not, it actually doesn't really exist in the book. Like, but is is this real? In the books, in the actual Wizard of Oz books, it is it is real. Like, there's no question. But like in the movie, uh, there's it's kind of not real. But so like, there's this question of like, is Oz real? Um, whereas I feel like that line kind of takes it and says like, it really doesn't matter. Like, that's not the question. Like, it doesn't matter if it's real or not. What's real is like what I experienced, what happened to me, what I learned, what I went through, like the journey, like that's what matters. So it doesn't matter if it's real because it had an effect on me and it changed me. Um, So I just felt like that line pretty much like encapsulated emotionally all of that for me. And, And also I think one thing, Victoria and I were talking about in in the Once Upon a Mattress episode is like point of view, like a character having like a point of view. Um, whereas like Dorothy often like from the other examples, like doesn't really have a point, doesn't often have like an actual point of view. She has like a want, like I want to get home. Like I want to uh, see my Aunt M, like, Uncle Henry again. But like this song and in this throughout this show like I really feel like this Dorothy like has a point of view like she has then this song in particular like she has thoughts on herself and like how she's changed 
changed and all that. So I think that's also why I love this song so much alongside the beautiful lyrics, the poetic lyrics and melody and all that. Uh, just to bring it to Mike for a second, you did your um, episode on your Her- Herberg, right? And yes. And you talked about um, how he was so um, kind of explicit and straightforward in his lyrics. And I just, not that, the Wiz has any obligation to go after what Yip Herberg did, but that this in its way is so explicit about her goals. It's so straightforward in this is what home means to me and just kind of spelling it all out and in a really stunning way. Yeah, what I really like about home and just like I love the Wiz so much, it holds such a special place in my heart, but it's, you know, Over the Rainbow is one of the most iconic songs ever written, like bar none. And I don't think in the Wiz, Dorothy even sings when she's in Kansas. Like, I'm trying to, like, um, Aunt M has the pre-Oz song. And then and you really can't compete with Over the Rainbow. But what it did was it found a spot in the sh- in where there isn't a song in The Wizard of Oz and made this beautiful, iconic song and carved its own spot into it where... I don't think there's much singing in the, somebody mentioned it. I can't remember where, where the real, the music stops in the wizard of Oz at a certain point and where in the whiz, it keeps going and going. And we get to hear Dorothy at the very end. And instead of the like kind of hokey scene of, Oh, you were there and you were there. We get to really understand everything that Dorothy's learned at the end of the whiz and how much she's grown. And it's just, I think it's such a beautiful way to end the show again with getting Dorothy's point of view, which is kind of lacking in the Wizard of Oz at the end. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I love the Wizard of Oz um, film and and love Over the Rainbow, of course. And I think what's interesting is, you know, the Wiz really didn't seek out to be a um, Black version of the 39 film. It really sought out to be like a Black adaptation of the book. And so I think the themes that come across in the book um i think i think that's kind of what what mike is is hearing and, and kind of like responding to and i think that's it it's a great it has the great benefit of not competing with over the rainbow but also kind of just serving the original like 1900 novel but i think the other thing that i i was going to say um just briefly about it is you know i just want to highlight the wiz was nominated for eight Tony Awards, won seven, and Stephanie Mills was not a nominee for her performance as Dorothy. And I think a lot of that was just like comparisons to Judy Garland. Um, and you know, not, you know, not being able to, or the you know, thought being not being unable to um beat her or surpass her or compete with her or anything like that. And it's it's odd considering. Um, Dorothy drives so much of the narrative, um, but to not even be nominated. And so there's there's something when I hear this, um, you know, there's there's sort of a little bit of a bittersweetness in that it's such a stellar performance. Um, but, you know, knowing that she as an actress and performer didn't quite get her recognition for this. And then obviously she was kind of infamously um circumvented when it came to the film you know diana ross got to play dorothy and that was kind of a you know an interesting story how that happened and so um 
yeah, it's it's a it's a wonderful song, but one that um, I guess that I that I, that theme of wanting um hits a little bit differently, I think, too, because of kind of the the true life aspect of it. Did they talk about the the way that in this particular song, there's only a few songs that end a Broadway show where it's just the singer and nobody else is singing background and support vocals or on stage like Gypsy with a mama, Mama's Turn, Rose's Turn and, and Funny Girl with the, the reprise. Um, but did they ever talk about why they specifically chose this where not the whole entire cast comes out? Yeah, it's... um. For a couple of reasons, actually, you know, Oz is such a fantastic place. And obviously Dorothy is a part of this quartet. Um, and the way it was originally blocked was it was quite literally a black stage and just a spotlight. And there was no set at all. Um, it was just Dorothy on stage. And they thought um, they really, number one, wanted the audience to really listen to the lyrics. And also they felt like with the, the pardon me, <laughs> with the spectacle of Oz um, that they, for this idea of home being this introspective reflective space to just strip all of that Oz spectacle away and just have it just be Dorothy by herself singing um, would kind of be the best thematic ending for the show. So yeah, it was, it was quite literally a solo number in every aspect um, in its original staging. Yeah. I love the choice. I think it's I think it it really is ideal. I cannot wait for the revival. I that's something I'm very excited to go and see. <laughs> it's on my list. <laughs> I I will second that. I am somebody who's familiar with the film and hearing that um description and also intention of, of this ending. To me, this makes me think of Salman Rushdie's critiques of the MGM film and relating them to the original books but like like in the mgm film it's like why would you want to go back to kansas <laughs> like really and in the books you know spoiler alert there's a lot more that happens there's like 14 books um in the bomb but this being internal and so if you have the entire stage and just a spotlight on somebody then the entire stage gets to be then your projection of what is home and so it is that internal, it's, it's Dorothy. And then it's also nothing else is there to distract you. You're only with Dorothy and yourself. And so hearing that that was, that's part of the intention. It's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cause it's, it's got, you know, whatever influences are going on. Uh, there's a lot of issues with the MGM film and its relationship to home for a lot of people. <laughs> and so the whiz serving a cultural purpose of trying to fix that. We want to just go around. I mean, we're all saying we're looking, you know, a lot of us are saying we're looking forward to The Wiz, but if we want to go around and say something we're looking forward to seeing soon or in the future, uh, stage or screen, uh, revival, new production, uh, we'll, we'll just take a couple more minutes and uh, do that. Uh, I'll start um, and then We'll popcorn it around so uh i think uh definitely the whiz as i've said but i'll also add uh i'm looking forward to seeing new uh, as far as a new musical um how to dance in ohio i want to 
shout out that because I'm very much looking forward to seeing that on Broadway uh, soon, as soon as possible. Um, and then revival wise, I'd like to see, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the Tommy revival, that show. We kind of touched on it very briefly earlier, but that show, I saw that in the 90s as well. And that show uh, was uh, influential to me uh, as well. So looking forward to that. Uh, and I'll popcorn it to uh, Mike. I feel like this season, there's like an embarrassment of riches with new musicals coming and there's just so many, which is really exciting. But um, I'm really excited to see Olympica because I know so little about it. And it's just really refreshing to just have something where I'm going to be going in totally blind. And I'm also so excited for the Tommy revival. I love Tommy so much. Uh, let me popcorn it to Tammy. The 70s are back, baby. Tommy, <laughs> the whiz. Um, I'm, I'm excited because I'm going to be seeing um, the new revival of Spamalot at the end of the month, um, which I guess you could say like 70s because it's based off of a film from the 70s. Um, but I was just in the show because it was a dream show for me to be in earlier this year. So I'm really interested because I don't think I've seen a Broadway show that I've been in prior. So I'm excited to see what they're going to do and change up and switch and and tear and kill them. That's another reason we're going really, uh, you know, before the new year hits. So I'm excited to see what they're going to do with that. I need a good laugh or two this holiday season. So it'll be very welcomed. And I hope I can get uh, one of those killer rabbit puppets that they have for sale. <laughs> that would be really great to add to my collection, as you could see behind me. And also, I will be getting stuff from Tommy and the Wiz. I'll just keep adding a board to it. So <laughs> and and popcorn, popcorn, um, popcorn to Victoria. Sorry. I'll just repeat myself and say uh the Encore's production of Once Upon a Mattress to stay on theme. Um and also to repeat myself, because I know I said this in the episode, but one of the reasons that I'm actually most looking forward to that is um, because of Lear directing, because I think comedy is, um, I mean, it's collaborative, like everybody sort of needs to be at 100%, but I also think uh, directors don't get enough credit uh, for staging comedy. And I just, I like Lear so much, and I think she's such a fascinating person um, that I'm excited to see her do this. Um, and yeah, I guess that's it for me. Um, and I will pick Kasim to go next. So, um, I'm not going to pick the whiz because I've seen it already on the road. I've seen it a couple of times. So, um, but excited to see Tommy. I, that seems to be, it sounds like we're going taking a, a group trip, um, to go see Tommy. Um, but also really excited to see the color purple um on screen love the musical um, have seen it so many times and um really jealous because it seems like a lot of people have seen like early screenings i don't i must not tweet enough about it but um <laughs> but really excited to see that um on on christmas um and i will popcorn to beth ann i think i must um, I've actually never seen The Color Purple. It was one of my favorite books growing up. So I, and I've seen, you know, clips. So I'm very excited to see the movie because that's how I'm going to be able to get to see the show. Um, I'm actually leaving here. I'm going to go see um, 
walk on through, which is the um, Gavin Creel thing. Uh, if you know anything about me, you know, I really like museums. And so this musical is supposed to be about a guy going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which is a place I spend a lot of time. So I felt I felt like I had to see this show. And a, uh, a friend of mine is involved in the production. So I'm I'm excited for that. And I know nothing about it. So, well, I guess I know what it's called, but. <laughs> and it's about museums. <laughs> and it's about museums. I know that much. Um, so I'm I'm excited for it. I, I I'll report back. <laughs> yep. And Chris. Um, I mean, it just because it's what I get to do next week, actually, like in like a week or six days. But here we are seeing it for the second time. Um and it's just a such a you know, there's all the uh, you know, plenty of things to talk about, and there's been some other things like the idea of like unfinished works and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you know, to echo, but also because I'm not, I don't know a lot of what what's coming along is the whiz, and part of it is um, I've gotten to really look into it more, and so I'm really excited uh, for your book and uh, want to pre-order it immediately. Um, because I also like know the film. And so reading more about and understanding the stage show and that whole stuff going on. Um, I, I mean, I'm really excited for Wayne Brady and the Wiz character um, and being kind of juxtaposed, juxtaposed, whoa, I can't say that word right now. What with Richard Pryor's Wiz. Um, and uh, I, generally get to teach a college course on musicals, and but I recently switched it to uh, teaching the musical, but through the various tellings of The Wizard of Oz. Um, and my students are just like, what? And of course they're like, will latch onto the strangest things like, oh, I didn't know like the paint in the MGM film almost killed somebody. But like, they love the fact that they're like, oh yeah, like I know the story. Now I can understand what a musical is. <laughs> and so, the more I can learn about it, the better I can teach. So I'm really excited. Cool. Well, yeah, I I feel like Here We Are uh, is another show that uh, will- It's a whole uh, other episode. I know, we'll do. eventually like, have to and, talk. And it has to be a group episode. It can't <laughs> just be- <laughs> Can we all go I, together? It would be yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I need to see it a second time in order to re- fully get it, uh, get everything that, I saw the first time, but, um, and I, you know, will also be listening to the recording when it comes out, whenever that happens. But, um, but yeah, that's, here we are, the Sondheim's last musical currently playing uh, is, uh, yeah, another, a whole, a whole nother discussion. But uh, thank you to everyone who, uh, has been listening and watching and um and thank you to all of you for joining today um i love these doing these discussions and uh just yeah makes me makes me happy to to do them so thank you thank you all for listening to this episode of scene to song scene to song will be going on a brief hiatus to prepare for season seven and will return in early 2024. In the meantime, you can write to scene2song at gmail.com 
with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Follow us on Instagram at Scenes a Song, on Twitter or X at Scene Song, and on Facebook at Scenes a Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter at scenetosong.substack.com and contribute to our Patreon. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. Thank you to everyone who has listened, and Happy New Year!